All right, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we're looking at the qualifications for a Christian leader, and specifically an elder. Uh, we're seeing that everything that is being said about an elder, uh, except perhaps uh, being able to teach, is something that we're all supposed to be growing in. So we're all challenged through this. And this will be the last couple of verses we look at on, an elder, on the qualifications for an elder uh, in 1 Timothy. Uh, the next time we get together, Lord willing, on a Wednesday, we'll be looking at a deacon, but we'll be covering it pretty quick because many of these qualifications to the deacon, they, they are basically a reiteration of what we read in regard to an elder. Uh, so we won't be spending a whole lot of time on that. We'll be just kind of a reiteration with uh, some new points, of course. But Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus to strengthen that church, to equip them, uh, it's, the, the ministry is young, and uh, Paul has, uh, uh, needs elders there. Now, Timothy is a young pastor, and as a young pastor, he's been established there uh, to lead that fellowship, but at the same time, he's called to do the work of an evangelist. So how long he would actually stay in certain places, we don't know, but he'd function as a pastor, but he was also an evangelist, and then he would appoint leaders, elders, uh, churches ought to have elders. I think that's very, very important. Uh, we believe in a plurality of elders, and we get together. Uh, I think we've got a meeting at the end of this month uh, to pray and seek the Lord and, and, and uh, help people and, and just grow together and, and help lead the fellowship. But the requirements can be, uh, they're very instructive. In fact, I can guarantee you that if these requirements were actually followed in most churches, uh, there would be, elders would be cut down to, I can't even say what the, you know, I haven't done, seen a study on it, but it's, it's, it's pretty strong. In fact, this disqualifies, not disqualifies, but it states that those who are new converts are not to, are not to be qualified or should as their new converts. And a lot of times somebody will see somebody in a, you know, that seems to have natural leadership skills as a new believer, or maybe they have supernatural leadership skills that God is birthing in them through a certain array of gifts he's given them, gift or gifts, but they're brought up, brought up too quick and it can be incredibly destructive. Let's look at what Paul says to Timothy. He says, and not, verse 6, and not, 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, verse 7, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, this is very interesting. It's not saying because he's not really a Christian. Obviously, one of the things we've already looked at in regard to an elder, he has to be above reproach, right? Well, this new convert can fall into reproach, meaning he wasn't necessarily in reproach. His life wasn't a reproach against the gospel or holy living necessarily when he was brought forth as an elder, but he could become conceited. In other words, he wasn't necessarily conceited when he was appointed to an elder. He might have seemed like, hey, it's a humble brother, you know? Man, he's such a humble brother. One elder says, yeah, it's great. And the other elder's like, yeah, but he's only been a Christian for a week. They're like, yeah, but he's got such leadership skills, man, you know? And uh, well, another elder, no, it's been about a week and a half. I think he might qualify, you know, or whatever kind of conversation you have. But he could become conceited, and he could fall into reproach and a snare of the devil. Ooh, now that breaks my heart because what ha you're 
the, the concern here is that we're supposed to be building men and women up to serve God, amen? And you're doing the very, you're having an ill effect, a very destructive effect on a young man in the Lord when you make him an elder prematurely because you can actually be the one as, a, as leaders, pastor and elders or who appoints him, uh, you can end up basically contributing to his eternal demise. Uh, this is serious stuff. And let's take the first part of it. And not a new convert. You can apply this to your own life, in growing and, and decision-making and so forth. Uh, there's a lot of practical wisdom here uh, in regard to just living life. And if you, you know, uh, run a business or things of that nature, uh, and you're trying to be a witness for Christ and so forth, you have to be uh, wise. Uh, I'm not saying specifically apply this, but it might be wise if you have, for instance, new business and you reflect Christ, right? And somebody seems all excited about Jesus and you give them a prominent position even in your business uh, only for them to fall flat on their face, possibly. Uh, you have to weigh these things out as you pray and seek the Lord, obviously. But this is very clear when it comes to leaders in the church. And the first part of the verse, it says, not, not, and not a new convert, okay? And the Greek word is nephutas, which is the Greek word, uh, it actually is, literally means neophyte, you know? A, new, a newbie, you know? And it's interesting because the Greek word, neophutas, in the Greek literally means newly planted. So if you're reading the Greek language in the first century, the word that's translated new convert is from a word that meant newly planted. You know, I think it would be wise if sometimes he would just translate it literally over, you know? Because there's a lot of picturesque imagery in a newly planted believer. And that right there, Almost, you know, even the language in the Greek speaks to the vulnerability of, think of a brand new little plant, you know, very vulnerable, right? Not necessarily to be a redwood leading or helping lead the pack. Uh, so it's interesting. It's only once in the New Testament, but it's used a number of times in the Old Testament, Greek Septuagint, or what we call the LXX or the Septuagint, Greek translation of the Old Testament. This word is used there a, a, a number of times. It's only used once here. And it's not saying not a, a, a young, not a uh, young, saying, not saying, Paul's not declaring not a young man. He's not saying not a young man, okay? We know he's not saying that because he's talking about someone who's newly planted. In fact, he would be contradicting himself because he tells Timothy, right? Let no one despise your what? Youth. Timothy was a young man, but he'd known the scriptures since he was a child. As we find out in 2 Timothy that he was taught by his mother and his grandmother since he was a child. Amen. And that's important to understand uh, that he, so he's not speaking of a young man. You can be a young man in Christ if you've been established and shown maturity for some time. Uh, you can, it would not apply to you necessarily. But if you're a newly planted young man or you're just simply newly, you could be 55 years old. Well, the guy's 55 years old. Yeah, but he's been a believer just a week. He's newly planted, you know. Uh, so it's talking about someone who's newly planted in the Lord. I have a, a friend who's uh, actually pastored here for quite some time in Simi Valley. And he said that, Joe, when I was a young pastor, he goes, I put people in eldership positions that were young believers way too quick. And it was incredibly destructive for his church at that time. And uh, we have to be very, very careful, okay? Uh, all of us, you know. So uh, pastors have to resist the temptation when they see somebody who's full of enthusiasm as a new believer. 
to just say that's a future leader in the church. You don't know that. How many people that are full of enthusiasm and seem so excited about Jesus? Remember the first plant that grows into a plant, and the, or even before one's taken, the first one's taken the first soil, right? But the other one believes for a while, right? But time temptation falls away. But there's an excitement with that. That first one actually receives the word. And then in time of temptation, it says they fall away. So excitement for the Lord doesn't necessarily mean that that person, because the, the Christian walk is not a sprint, right? We touch, it's a marathon, right? There's some people sprint up to the altar. I want Jesus, you know? They're all excited to talk about Jesus. And then before you know it, man, they're back in the world, doing the things of the world, getting drunk and chasing a bunch of women and all those things. It's like, what happened? You know? So you have to be really, really careful. But sometimes pastors want elders who are, they become desperate. They want leaders. And we know it can become tough. I mean, we have churches, uh, homes, uh, live stream groups that have popped up and got one that, you know, uh, Jonathan's pastor in Blessed Open, Mexico, and uh, we have one in Idaho. Nick's a young man still, right? But he's not newly planted, right? He learned the scriptures from his mom and, and from the leadership here in the fellowship. We discipled him for years and years and years. He's not newly planted, even though he's young. And he's bearing a lot of fruit. And, and Jonathan as well. Jonathan was already uh, loved the Lord and on fire before he stepped in the doors here. But he came here to get discipled and strengthened. And, and he's been a huge blessing, uh, not only to us, but to Mexico now. But uh, we also have areas where they're like, we want pastors in some of the live stream groups. We want, you know, and we're like, you know what? How about this? And we're like, we got to wait, man. We, have to, we're, we don't want to rush anything. And I'd rather err on the side of waiting and having peace, and knowing someone's got some traction, got some miles under their walk, and they love the, the Word, they're dedicated to the Word, they've, they've undergone trials, and they've shown perseverance, and, and you can say they've been proven before you just throw someone in who, there who seems to look like a leader, and then all of a sudden you hurt the congregation you're trying to bless, you know. So uh, we've got to be really prayerful and, and careful and so forth. And it's interesting because we're talking about Newly planted is the word, right, for new convert. And when you think of a new plant, it's very vulnerable to storms, to floods, right? can get destroyed really easy because its roots aren't very deep. Isn't that right? Amen. Its roots aren't very deep. And it's more fragile than, say, a, a bigger plant or a tree. And it could be easily uprooted. Uh, now, a new plant can't withstand a cold blast, for instance. You know, if you've ever done any gardening, I've done just enough to know that I planted a garden that was just way too big for me, man. I could not keep up with all the weeds. I'm like, what did I do? It was good while it lasted, but I thought, I'm not doing a garden like that again. But a cold blast, you can have, for instance, small plants in a, uh, you know, greenhouse or what have you. But if you allow a cold blast to go in, in there when it's frigid, really frigid weather, you can kill those cold plants, you know. Even if you've got brand new plants in pots, you know, they suggest you bring them in the home, you know. Uh, but what happens, plants need young plants. Newly planted plants need what? They need a lot of sunlight, amen? They need to spend some time in the sun so they grow stronger. And it's, so is true with new believers. They need the sunlight, the S-O-N light, the light of Jesus, amen? And they need to bask in his presence, seek him in his word, seek him in prayer, and grow stronger and stronger so their roots grow deeper, and as they grow deeper, they can be used in all kinds of ways. And perhaps God wants, God uses us all in different ways. Perhaps he wants to, 
uh, some of these believers, and he does always in different places with certain believers to uh, become elders and so forth. And there's guys that would make great elders. They just don't feel called to be an elder because of their, their, their uh, schedule or what have you, their, their work and not being able to be here all the time and what have you. But God wants us to make sure that we are, are rooted, you know, that we're newly plants, not just new plants, but that we take root and we grow. In fact, in the parable of the sower, in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, Jesus talked about these various plants. One of these seeds that was planted by the wayside got trampled underfoot and it, and it got taken by the birds. And Jesus said, that's what Satan does. He takes the seed before it germinates, you know, so there won't be any life, right? But then the other seeds actually germinate. You know, they depict some sort of life. One believes for a while. First soil in Luke chapter 8 it says Satan takes away the seed so they, are not, so they don't believe and get saved. Okay? In that context, faith brings salvation. But the next one does believe, it says, for a while. But then, it's, it's, uh, well, there's a couple of them. One's choked out, right? And then you read about the one in verse 13 uh, and 14 and 15. You read two, two, about two different soils. And then 15 talks about the plant that endured, persevered. So in verse 13, it says, Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in a time of temptation, fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, and they're choked with the worries and the riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But I love verse 15. Verse 15, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So you want elders, I think, should come from that last group, those who've gone through some trials, those who have persevered. We read as Christians in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, that we're not to, that we're to consider it all what? Joy when we undergo various trials, Right? Because it says the Lord is perfecting us through those trials. He's strengthening us that we would be made complete. Amen. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 and 5 say the same thing, basically. That he's building in us godly character through our trials that we face. So if you appoint a brand new convert or a new convert, maybe he's only been a convert for a year or two even, uh, and you say, oh, well, he's really grown in the last year and a half he's been here. Man, he'd be a great elder. That could still be young. Uh, and then his roots aren't deep. He hasn't gone through enough trials as a believer to get because trials have a way of causing you to make your roots grow deeper. Okay, that's what happens with the redwoods. Over, with you. I love the redwoods. You ever go to the redwoods? Sequoias are beautiful. Redwoods are really beautiful. They're both beautiful in their own ways. Uh, the sequoias grow incredibly thick and tall, but the redwoods don't grow typically quite as thick, but they grow incredibly tall. But there, there on the uh, Northern California, there's a lot of beautiful redwoods. One of the beautiful things about our state. And it's, it's just amazing because the winds that, that go against those redwoods cause them to, their response to that is to go deeper with their roots and to intermingle with the roots of other redwoods, whereby they are basically meshed together. And that's what happens with believers that are mature for a while. They've gone through their, in their walk, they've gone through things. They've gone through uh, persecution. They've, they've gone through uh, being mocked for their faith in Christ or, or being attacked by the evil one. And they continue to have their roots go deeper and spread them out and, 
and intermingle with other believers and become one with other believers in Christ to where they become strong. Whereas in contrast, those who are newer believers, uh, well, we read that they don't have firm root and they believe for a while. And that's not every new believer, obviously, but speaking of certain ones who they don't have firm root, but in times of temptation, they fall away. And that could be very, very uh, destructive. Uh, and then in verse chapter 3, verse 6, again, the second part of that, and so that he will not, what, become conceited. So the first part of that verse, it talks about, uh, you know, not appointing them because a new convert, a new plan to win. Then it tells us, it goes on to say, so that he will not become, what, conceited, okay? Now it's interesting, the Greek word there is tufao, it's a kind of interesting Greek word, and uh, that word literally, uh, it's, I think it's kind of interesting, uh, it says, so he doesn't become, the word conceited actually, uh, and I'll get to tufao in a minute, but uh, it's interesting, it says, so he will not become conceited, uh, means to be wrapped in smoke. Wrapped in smoke. Isn't that interesting? So if someone's a new convert, if they get put in a prominent position, they could be wrapped in smoke. Now, if you're wrapped in smoke, are you a good decision maker? You can't see. You're going to have a hard time. Talk about getting the beam out of your eyes so you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. How about getting the smoke out of your eyes when it's just, you're filled with smoke, you know? And uh, the idea is, you know, the phrase lifted up with pride or, or conceit, uh, Interesting. It also is, it's the Greek word tafao, which is transliterated T-U-P-H-U-O if you're writing it in English. And it's interesting because it speaks of a destructive storm. In fact, it's from tufao that we get our English word typhoon. Isn't that interesting? So this person becomes a walking storm. Now I think there's an interesting play in words here. Because he's in a storm, his life becomes a storm as a new convert, and in the midst of this storm, he is what? A newly planted, a new, a new plant, right? A young plant, newly planted. So how will a new plant survive in an incredible, in a typhoon or a destructive storm? Not very well. And what happens if you put a new believer in a position that they're not ready for, you basically, as a pastor or a leader, you basically set the table for that newly planted believer being in a horrendous storm. And that storm results in him, and it, it, results, it can very easily result in him becoming conceited, you know? Wow, man, there's been a lot of believers at that church for a long time, and they picked me, you know? I must be really holy, you know? I must be awesome, and, you know? And uh, I'm not saying they're going to think exactly like that, but it can be very subtle even to where all of a sudden it goes to their head. And before you know it, you know, they've got this smoke all around them. They can't see. They're in this storm, and they're a new plant, and they're going to fall, typically, is what happens there. So I think there's a play on words there. I don't know that I was intended. I didn't see any commentaries that made that point, but I thought it's really interesting to me uh, that, uh, that you have a new plant, young plant, and you have tafuo, which was a, a, a cloud of smoke, a typhoon, a destructive storm, and those two are put together. 
I think it's really fascinating. And it's not a good word picture. It's a powerful word picture. It's a great word picture from Scripture as a warning. But it's, not a, it's a sad picture, though, of the guy that's in this situation. And how sad and how tragic it is that we as leaders, Christian leaders, because, and a lot of times it comes from people wanting to see the kingdom of God expand, seeing more, more people come to Christ and say, man, we need to get leaders. Or we've got a new church, you know, that we planted in this city or this town or this country, right? And we want to see new believers kind of take, take hold. You have to be really careful. In fact, I noticed in some of the commentators that I consulted and when I was putting this message together, that some of them said, These, this isn't on the list for Titus. Because you see, Titus's church, you know, it was a younger church. And the church that Paul's dealing with here at Ephesus, you know, was a little bit more mature. So there were more mature believers that could be elders. But Titus could appoint younger, younger elders. I thought, What? What are you saying? I saw at least two or three commentators say that. I'm like, okay, people like to make assessments and, and think of the mind of God. But I'm like, no, you know what? Uh, might it, a newer church, you're going to be more tempted to. Uh, and by the way, do you think those that were reading the letter to Titus weren't reading Timothy as well? Okay. It's not like those uh, qualifications. We put all scripture together, you know. And, uh, but I'm not saying Paul wasn't more concerned about the church at Ephesus, but I don't think the church that Titus was pastoring got this kind of thing. Well, you can do this. No, it's the same, same principle as at work. The principle is still sound that you want to be very careful not to exalt uh, a new believer uh, to leadership. There are incredible dangers. You know, you see this happening, right, with uh, some, the same principle being violated to a degree. You'll see this on Christian television where a celebrity claims to be follower of Christ now and everybody gets all excited and then they put them up there to share scripture with people or a sports star, right? Wow, so-and-so just, man, he loves Jesus now, you know? Or a rapper, famous rapper, gets really exalted and it's like, man, and he starts doing church, you know? And then it just goes haywire. Okay, guys, these are real living things. I'm thinking, of course, Kanye West right there, you know? And uh, he's doing Sunday church and it's like, Crazy. A lot of weird stuff came out of that, you know, and be on the alert and prayerful because the enemy can have a field day with young professing believers. And it's already, and, and, and this, this is compounded. It's one thing for a young believer to fall because it can bring disgrace upon the gospel with people that are in that young believer's inner circle. But you bring a, put a young believer into an exalted position too quick. The problem's compounded because now they've been influencing more people. They're seen by more people. Then when they fall, it causes a bigger problem. And it's very, very serious. So it's important that we get this and that we get rooted. And that's the application. How do you apply this to your life? As a believer, especially as a young believer, but it's true for all of us, we need to make sure that we're rooted in Christ. Amen. And that comes from spending time with him, as I mentioned, from walking with Jesus, amen, so we can become sturdy trees for him. In fact, go to Colossians chapter 2. Go to Colossians chapter 2. And it's interesting. In Colossians chapter 2, uh, Paul has some very, very important words. In verse 6, let's look at verse... Uh, Colossians chapter 2. It says, having been, verse 7, let's look at verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, Lord, uh, Jesus the Lord, so what? Walk in him. Follow him now. Walk in him. Verse 7, having been what? 
firmly rooted. He wants us to be firmly rooted. You notice those who fell away in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, they had no firm root, right? Well, you walk in Jesus. You, you mature in your faith, amen? You keep growing. Then when the storms come, he says, having been firmly rooted, now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were struck, instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So you become like a tree. Uh, you, you become established in your faith. That way when the trials come, the storms come, uh, you've built your house on the rock, amen, not on the sand, okay? And you've had time to make sure that you become established. And, and that's critical for us to do. And it's important, too, because we're called not to just win souls. He that wins souls is wise, amen? But Jesus said to make disciples, amen? So we're supposed to strengthen believers, amen? That's why you don't hear me just preaching the gospel every time we get together. You hear me preach the gospel, of course, you know? But we talk about growing in the Lord. We, we go to the scripture and how it's apply to our lives and how do we be, become men and women of the word of God so we can become strong, amen? amen? So we can become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's really, really important that we get this. In fact, go to Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. A memorable psalm, but it's really awesome when you think of it in terms of, of, not, of what happens after your new convert as you continue to grow in Christ. And in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, he says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And we're talking about walking again now. And we're talking about a few other things like sitting and standing. Nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in what? In the law of the Lord. And in his law, we could apply that to us as New Covenant Christians, to the law of Christ, right? But also we meditate on his entire word. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he, what, meditates day and night. He will be like a, what, tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, right? A new sprout does not bear a whole lot of fruit. But he yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. You want to prosper in Christ Jesus? I'm not talking about how the word faith movement talks, where you're going to get these big Cadillacs and Maseratis and all this stuff, and your private jets and everything. You know, that's such a lie. But prospering in Christ, which is way, way better than that, by the way. I'd rather have the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, joy, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, right? than all the things that these guys have, which leave them just still empty inside. And they're in huge trouble with the Lord, too. But we want to prosper in Christ, grow into the image of Jesus, amen, and, uh, and be blessed through him. In Jeremiah chapter 7, a lot of times people can go there, if you will. That would be great, because a lot of times when people think of being the, like a tree planted by the water, I love that Chris Falson song. Doug does that sometimes. Maybe we'll do that next time you guys lead worship. Like a tree planted by the water. Uh, they don't think of... They think of Psalm 1, 1 through 3, but look at Jeremiah. It's awesome. I think this is awesome as well. Jeremiah 7, 7 and 8. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He is like a tree planted by the waters and sends out its what? Roots toward the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. And its leaves are always green. It does not worry in a year of drought nor does it cease to produce fruit. Isn't that awesome? Now Jesus said in John 15, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He that abides in me will bear much fruit. John 15, 5 and 15, 6, he said, if a man doesn't abide, meno, it's a Greek, remain in me, he withers and is cut off as a branch, thrown in the fire and burn. 
That's a serious warning there. But how do we bear fruit? We abide in his word, he says. Jesus says that in John 15. We pray, we seek him. We, we stay connected to him through faith in Christ. And as we stay in his word, what happens? Our roots go deep into his word. We stay green. We stay fruitful. Even while, when everybody else seems to be in a drought, we can be strong in the Lord, amen, in the power of his might. Amen. We can be fruitful, flourishing for Jesus. And that's what God wants from us, amen? He wants us to bear fruit. That's the will of the Father, Jesus said in John 15. And that's how we glorify the Father. So it's imperative that we are in the Word. You're not going to bear fruit if you're not sinking your roots in God's Word. Are you, stick, are you sticking your roots in God's Word? That's the key, man. That's the critical, you know? When people, you meet people and they claim to be Christians, I want to know, are you in the Word? You know? I love you, but are you really? I want to know who I'm talking to, Right? Because if I'm not talking to a Christian, I want to then witness to encourage to be in the Word. Brethren, if any of you turn from the faith, John or James chapter 5, verse 19-20, turns away from the truth, it says. If any of you turn, I'll get away from the Word. You know? Brother, if any of you err from the truth, he's talking about the Word there, and one brings him back, he'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Amen? So people get out of the life-giving Word, and they're not abiding in Christ and His Word. And that's serious. So we need to make sure we're abiding in his word, uh, that we're protected in his word. It's interesting because God does protect new believers, amen? The Bible says in Second or 1 Peter 1, 5 that we're kept by the power of God through faith. It's conditioned upon faith, just like salvation is conditional, whether we put our trust in the Lord or not, amen? But it says that he keeps, uh, you know, we're kept by the Lord through faith. And the Lord protects new believers, well, wait, there's a pro what you just read with the uh, parable of the sower. Yeah, there's dangers. It's interesting because you know what they do with new plants when they're trying to grow a bunch of new plants? They put what they call a cloche over them. It's kind of like a hat-shaped lid, you know, to protect them from the really cold blasts that come. God protects us by his spirit, amen? amen. And, and, he, and he, he, he loves us. He cares about us, and he protects us, you know? But at the same time, he hasn't destroyed our freedom of choice. And he encourages us to abide in him and abide in his word. So new believers need to be challenged to, to, to just grow. And, and they need to be encouraged and loved upon. And, and we need to make sure when you see new believers in this fellowship, and whether you're listening by live stream or wherever you're at, that you're nurturing toward them, that you're encouraging them, that you're loving on them. But at the same time, that you're not expecting too much of them too quick. You know, I've had children. Now I have grandchildren. And I don't get upset when my little grandchild you know, isn't walking when they're two months old. Like, I can't believe you, you know. It takes time, you know, it takes time. And God's been patient with us. We need to be patient with others, amen. So sometimes we can try to push somebody into ministry because we want to see more done for the kingdom. And that grieves the Spirit of God. And leaders who are doing that, be careful, man. Don't do that. James 3.1, don't let it, many of you seek to be teachers, for you shall incur a stricter judgment. Because we give accounts for the souls of those that we watch over. And then chapter 13, verse 7 and verse 17, it talks about how that uh, to obey your leaders because they will give an account for your souls. It's like, whoa, that's pretty, pretty heavy, man. Leaders are going to be held accountable. So we have to be very careful. Uh, so anybody who leads or anybody listening uh, that's in leadership position, you need to take these words to heart and not just think that you or we or us or we know more than God. Oh, no, in this situation, I could bring a new, uh, an elder up really quick because I could just tell. God's showing me, you know, even though he's been a, a Christian only for a few months, he's showing me this guy's going to be a great elder. Really? So I would test the spirits, you know, 
Because if you're getting revelation that's contrary to Scripture, I don't believe it's from the Scripture. I don't believe it's from the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's the one who inspires Scripture. Amen? Well, when's the line? When's the line? What, what month? What year? I don't dare say. Because I don't want to add to Scripture. Scripture doesn't give a specific time. I was reading one commentary where, uh, actually a, a, a discipleship book uh, by a guy named Ames, who has really good stuff to see on discipleship, by the way, E-I-M-S. But he suggests seven years. You know, seven years. I thought, wow, you know, that's a seven years. <laughs> that might be, an, uh, I don't know if that's a too long, you know. We, and don't think, oh yeah, seven years, that sounds good. That's it. No, we can't say that. You know, Jesus spent three years with his apostles. But he does the math. He goes, well, if he spent three years with the apostles and eight hours a day, every day, you know, that'd be like seven years for the average. You know, I'm like, you can't do that, you know. You, you, can, you can suggest, I'm not saying it's wrong to, not, to, to suggest, because he's, but he's, he's trying to be careful in his book on discipleship that people don't fall away, I'm sure, because he's thinking of this passage, which I praise God he's thinking of that. But I don't want to, I don't presume, presume judgment on other elders and pastors who, you know, take some time if they think it's two years, three years, five years, seven years. It doesn't say. But what you ought to be able to see is that the believer that you're putting is no longer a new convert. He's not a newbie. He wasn't converted yesterday or maybe even a year ago. He's got some time under his belt, right? He's growing in the Lord for a while. Uh, and that's for the good of the church, for God's glory. Amen. I mean, how many of these, these teachers have fallen, these evangelists, right? I know a lot of these guys are prosperity teachers and so forth, but it's about 2 Peter chapter 2 talks about how many of these Many will follow their pernicious ways, and because uh, and they'll when they'll deceive them through the stories that they've made up. Sounds like a lot like the word faith teachers, right? And it says the way of truth will be brought into disrepute because of their sensuality. And a lot of these guys are living for themselves, you know, and because of their sensuality, the way of truth—that's the gospel. That's Jesus. He's the way of truth. That's Christianity. The the, the faith of, that Christ has given us uh, is brought into disrepute because uh, leaders fall. Well, we don't want to compound that problem. Amen? So now it's interesting as well because there's certain things we can encourage, we can uh, look for. Uh, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Paul says uh, that the Holy Spirit speaks explicitly that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctors of demons. That's verses 1 and 2 and so forth. And, and it talks about how these false doctrines will come in. But Paul says to Timothy in verse 16, at the end of that chapter, he says, watch your life or your behavior, some translations, and your doctrine. Two things to really focus on, Timothy, in your walk. Watch your life and your doctrine. In so doing, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Okay? So it's interesting that he emphasizes your, one's life and one's doctrine. And when somebody's newly established in the faith and there are new plants, right? They don't have much of a Christian lifestyle. They need to have a solid Christian lifestyle for a while, amen? That's tried and true and proven before they're put in a position. And they also need to grow in God's word, amen? Watch their life and their doctrine. You put up a, a, a brand new believer, you know, uh, are they going to be able to, uh, you know, uh, help people doctrinally? Are they going to be skilled in the word of God and so forth? In fact, Paul addressing the elders at this church at Ephesus in uh, Acts chapter 20, same church, church at Ephesus, in verse 28, we, we read in verse 20, or chapter 20 of Acts that he basically calls them to 
uh, a meeting because it's the end of his third missionary journey, and he's really concerned about that church there. We know in the future, according to Revelation, they're going to wander from their first love. Okay, this is prior to that time. And Paul says in verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for the, all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, and shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Okay? So he says, be on guard for yourselves. Meaning, watch your own hearts. Watch your own lifestyles. You know? Because he said that there'll be uh, wolves that'll come and ravenous wolves who will not spare the flock. And then he says, even from among your own selves, there will rise up men speaking perverse things to draw disciples after them. Whew, that's heavy, man. That's heavy because Paul gives Timothy strong instruction on how to bring forth elders, right? And Timothy establishes elders here, but as some time elapses, there's some elders there that are about themselves, okay? And they rise up in conceit because they're focused on themselves. But Paul says that they're supposed to watch over themselves, watch their hearts, right? And recognize that they're, they're supposed to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Whoo, man, people are in trouble, man. When you're messing with God's church, which he purchased with his own blood. In the Old Testament, it says that when you mess with God's people, Israel, it says you touch the apple of his eye. You ever get poked in the eye? You get poked right in the middle? You can't close your eye if you live fast enough? Or even if you close it fast enough, it can still hurt terribly? God's real protective of his eye, so to speak, or of Israel, which is depicted as in a metaphorical sense by God's eye. God cares about his people. And Jesus says to those goats on the left hand that go to the lake of fire, he says, what you've done unto the least of these, you know, or you didn't do the least of these, you didn't do for me, amen. And when they persecute the church, like Paul, Jesus said to Paul before he became the apostle on the road to Damascus, you know, he falls down, he's blinded, and the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? When you mess with the church, you're messing with Jesus, man, because we're his hands and his feet. He's the head, we're the body of Christ. Amen. So we have to be very, very careful. And those of us, not just leaders, all of us as Christians, we have to be very, very careful what we say, how we live our lives, how we encourage one another, how we're there for each other. And God forbid that there'd be wolves that would come in there. And that happens, they don't spare the flock. That's why we need men and women of God. I praise God for you guys that love truth, that love Jesus, that guard the flock, that are concerned about sound truth, sound doctrine. And, and recognize it's not just about having, you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's theologically, but it's about making sure you're walking with Jesus. Amen? Because an elder, if there's a newbie planted, a new convert's planted, how can, he, how can he fulfill this requirement in Titus? And by the way, I don't think in Titus he had to say, he just put it another way. When he says not a new convert or one newly planted, well, what I read from Titus right here. This does not describe a new, newly planted believer. Titus 9, or 1, 9 through 11, when it describes what elder, some of the requirements for an elder in Titus, he says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Now, a newbie, right, in, in the Lord, is not able to refute a bunch of false doctrines. He might be able to refute one or two or a few as a new Christian, but you need some experience to grow in the knowledge of the word, amen, and become really accustomed to the authentic article so you can spot the counterfeits. That takes some time, amen. That takes some experience. 
And in verse 10, he says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. So there's false teachers in the church. They're after sordid gain. Their motives are wrong. They're, they're, teaching the, they're misteaching the law. They're teaching the law of Moses. So it's something that you need to keep as a Christian. Paul's dealing with similar false teachers. They're at Ephesus in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We've gone through chapter 1. And Paul says the law was not given uh, uh, for the righteous, but for the wicked. And these guys misuse the law. And they've departed from God's word, he says. And it's interesting because they're misusing the law, Paul says. And he even brings a couple of those guys up by name. Hymenaeus and Philetus, who he brings up for church discipline. Why? Because they're teaching misusing the law. They're telling people they gotta, they're into genealogies and all these different things they're putting on the people. And that's serious because Paul in Galatians, you remember what he wrote to them about the Judaizers, Paul coined a word, you know, uh, speaking of this specific group. Uh, they've come in, they're telling people they have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. They have to be circumcised. They have to keep days and, and new moons, stuff like that. If you read chapter 1, verse 6, remember he says, I marvel that you are so quickly being removed from him who has called you to the grace of Christ to another gospel. Remember he says, which is not really another gospel, but if we or even an angel from heaven preach another gospel than that which we preach, you let him be accursed, eternally condemned, some translations. Go to hell is one translation says. And then this is serious because these are men in the church who are walking with Jesus and all of a sudden at the church of Galatia this doctrine comes in that, oh, you know what? Paul isn't emphasizing you know, the, the Sabbath enough. He's not emphasizing circumcision enough. You know? And you guys need to make sure you keep the law. And that's contrary to Acts 15, where remember Peter is like, and Paul's there too in the first church council, you know, not to emphasize, not to put that yoke on them, right? On like the Gentile believers that we ourselves and our forefathers could not keep, that yoke of trying to keep the law. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary, Chapter 11 in Matthew, verses 28 through 30. And I will give you what? My burden, my burden is what? Easy. It's, it's light, you know? My yoke is, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. And uh, he said, I'll give you rest for your souls. He's our Sabbath. He's our rest. In fact, we're not supposed to be under the Old Testament yoke. In fact, that's why Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 1, stand fast in the freedom with Christ has set you free and don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Why? He says, if any of you uh, seek to be circumcised, you'll be cut off from the Christ. The Greek word actually means abolished. It's a pretty, it's a pretty scary verse. <laughs> verse 3 there, and, or verse 2 and 3, and he says, and Christ will profit you nothing. And in verse 4 he says, you have fallen from grace. So Paul's concerned that there's people that have come in the church that ought not be leaders and that are actually bringing a different gospel that could damn people. Therefore, the new converts aren't going to be able to withstand their lies in fact, the new converts might succumb to their lies because it's very difficult when you get these tensions of people bringing in strange doctrines. Remember, Paul says in Galatians in chapter 2 that even Peter was swept away with them because Peter knew he could eat with the Gentile believers and he's eating with them. When the Jews came, he withdrew himself, Paul said, because he didn't want to be seen with them as though he didn't have that liberty. And he had that liberty. And Paul said, I confronted Peter's face because he was being a hypocrite at the time. It's like, well, that's strong language, Paul. That's because God so cares about the gospel. He so cares about the truth not being distorted. Hallelujah. And he says to the church at Galatia, you began well, you began in the spirit, you know. Are you now seeking to be justified by the, the flesh, by keeping the Old Testament law? 
Did you not receive the Holy Spirit through the hearing of, by faith? Remember like Cornelius did in Acts chapter 10? Paul, Peter's preaching and he's hearing the gospel and then he receives the Holy Spirit as he's hearing the gospel. He's a Gentile and he's born again. And Paul's saying it's through faith that we're saved. It's through faith that we receive the Holy Spirit. Amen? So it's critical that, and, and I mentioned these teachings that have come in because both Paul and Titus are dealing with people that are misusing the Mosaic law and looking at it as a means of being right with God by keeping the law of Moses. And it's in that context where a newly planted believer needs to grow in his maturity and understand these things before he can actually defend the faith in a myriad of ways because Satan comes with all kinds of attacks. Are you with me? So it's very, very important that we get this. And Titus, as I mentioned, while it doesn't mention not a newbie, it does mention that it has to be someone who's skilled in the Word of God, who can refute false doctrine. And by the way, if you want to be Christian leaders, as, as Christians, we should all be leading in some way, at least by example, amen? We should all be making sure that we are growing in our knowledge of the Word. And that's how we together are, we're together, we're watchmen. Now, we, we, you walk in love, you grow in love, you love people, but you also are, are, are called to be wise. Now, let's go back to chapter 3. Let's look at the last part of chapter 3, where it says, not a newly planted believer, right? Uh, lest he become conceited, right? He gets, and that word, remember that word? It's the word we get typhoon from, right? He's in this cloud. His head's in the clouds. He, that's smoke he can't see. It's all the smoke around him, you know, because of his pride. And, and now he's in dire straits. And it says at the end of that verse, and that he what? Fall into the what? Condemnation and cured by the devil. Wow. That is pretty scary because now you've put someone in a leadership position and if you've done that and you're listening, you're like in a place of leadership at a church where you're at or so forth, and that's happened, and you're like, man, I'm not condemning you, okay? Just craft a God and say, God, have mercy on me. I made a mistake, and he'll have mercy on you if you sincerely repent of that. But it's something that we can't do because you actually cause somebody to fall into the condemnation and cured by the devil. Now, this can have, uh, you know, a few different meanings, as is pointed out. Some will point out two meanings, but I, I see three potential meanings. A devil here doesn't always, diabolos can mean slander. It doesn't always have to mean uh, uh, the devil when you see the word slander or diabolos. And some translators or some commentators believe it's speaking of he falls into condemnation with other people that start slandering because of his behavior. Because as a new believer, he becomes conceited. I don't think that's a good, good, good understanding personally. Because there's a definite article before slander. It's speaking of the slander, right? Uh, and the definite article, I think, when you see it with Satan, the devil, throughout the New Testament, whether the definite article there in every other context, it refers to the devil himself. And uh, later we see in the very next verse, it mentions falling into the trap of the devil. Okay? Although the next two interpretations, I believe both of them have truth to them. So I personally line up with the second and third interpretations. One is that he finds, uh, he falls into the condemnation of the devil, meaning the devil is able to condemn him. Okay, uh, Although the Greek word condemnation there is a judgment, right? The devil's name is diabolos here. Diabolos is the word, it means literally slander, right? Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12.10. He accuses us before the Father day and night. Amen? Amen. And he accuses us, but it doesn't stick because either... Uh, because we're repentant and the grace of God covers us by the blood of Christ because we've, 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 we're seeking him in faith, we're trusting in Christ, amen? Or unless we're in rebellion to God, okay? Otherwise, Satan wouldn't, wouldn't waste his time accusing professing believers. 
okay? But if you're in rebellion to God and you become conceited as a newbie, a newly planted person, and you fall into reproach, right, of the devil, then there's, there's a problem there. So uh, some interpreters, a number of them, believe it's speaking of, uh, of being condemned by the devil. Although I think, and I, it, uh, the, I, I don't have a hard time with this very likely being a double entendre, meaning it has, it's, there's a couple things being said here, because sometimes uh, the word crema here, okay, crema is the word for judgment or condemnation. Uh, it doesn't mean slander, it means condemnation, but Satan does seek to condemn us, amen? But it's interesting when you look at that, uh, I believe the other understanding, which is most scholars and just because it's most doesn't mean it's, it's true, because a lot of times scholars can be off universally almost sometimes, right? But most scholars, I believe they're right in this instance, most scholars opt for it, meaning they will come into condemnation the same way the devil did. Because of them becoming conceited, they'll fall into the same condemnation that the devil did because, and we're told here, I believe, and we're told elsewhere, that Satan's original sin was pride, okay? Was pride. And it's important to understand that. And this man, so I think it's interesting. I think Satan is at play a lot here because I think he's the one that tempts us to fall into pride, right? He tries to get us to fall the same way he did, right? He fell because of pride. And guess what? He didn't have anybody deceiving him. He deceived himself. His first deception was deception of himself. He was self-deluded, right? He was lifted up in pride. So he does seek to get us to fall that way. But the reason he wants to get us to fall that way is he's got this wager thing going on where he's trying to say, God, I can get Job to curse you to your face, right? Remember that? He's trying to get Job to fall. And he's, Satan is called in the book of Job the king of pride. Interesting. I'm sorry, he's called the king of all the children of pride. It's just pretty heavy. Well, this new convert can become a child of pride now. And because, instead of being Christ-focused because of his leadership position, uh, it goes to his head, and he becomes clouded. He becomes full of smoke, and he can't see. Uh, Vincent's word studies in the New Testament uh, says, translates it this way. He should fall into the judgment pronounced on the devil, who was originally puffed up with pride. So he ends up falling in the same condemnation that the devil uh, fell into. And Satan had a problem. He didn't have a problem with his hand. He didn't have a problem with his foot. He had a problem with his eye, okay? He had an eye problem, right? Remember that? An eye problem. Not his physical eye, but I, me, myself, and I. That was his problem. He had a big eye problem, man. In fact, it's interesting. It's kind of funny that the, the middle letter of pride is what? I. Middle letter of sin is I, you know? And that's just interesting because when go to Acts or go to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Isaiah 14, verse 12. And this is kind of interesting because we see that the action that led to Satan's judgment, being judged, uh, we find the reason right here in chapter 14 of Isaiah and the principality behind Babylon and behind Tyre are addressed in Isaiah and Ezekiel. And we read in verse 12, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn, now notice he says, you have been cut down to the earth. He once was heaven. Now he can go back to heaven, but he goes back and forth. He's not a resident of heaven anymore. Now he just visits as a prosecuting attorney. You who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I, there's the first I, there's five of these eyes, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. 
I will arise, uh, raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like who? Like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recess of the pit, the final judgment, right? Now, it's interesting because Satan has this eye problem, and there's things said here that go way beyond a mere king, okay? Just like we see in Ezekiel. And Satan is exalting himself, wants to exalt himself above the stars of God. And it's interesting because he was a worship leader in heaven. And that's not just something that people say. That's a reality. In fact, I wrote an article for... Uh, Dave Hunt, or articles sometimes for his ministry years back called Brian Call. It's called Christian Information Bureau. Back then I used to write articles. And I remember uh, when I wrote one of the articles I wrote that I mentioned that he was a, uh, a worship leader and somebody had a hard time. I was, you know, uh, with that article saying, how is, it's not, where does it ever say he's a worship leader? Da, da, da. I'm like, well, you know, in Isaiah 14, it says he'll be brought down with his musical instruments. Okay. Ezekiel 8, 28, when it's talking about him being the anointed cherub, it talks about how he was created with tabrets in him. And he happens to be an anointed cherub. Okay? And when you read what the cherubim do, cherubim are more than one cherub, they lead the worship of God. If you, go to, if you go to Revelation chapter 4, we don't have time to go there, but you can go to Revelation 4 later and read it. And go to Revelation chapter 5. And, and all of a sudden in Revelation 5, I mean, the worship spreads to all of creation eventually. But you know who it starts with in Revelation 4 and then 5? It starts with the cherubim, four of them. And we read that they, they're the ones that lead the worship. Satan was not content to be a worship leader in heaven. He wanted to be the one that was worshipped. He wanted to be God. He, pride. Pride was his fall. In fact, in Ezekiel 30, or 28, 17, it says of Lucifer or Satan, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. In fact, in chapter 28, verse 14 and 15, it says, uh, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. And this is after, I didn't even read the verses where it says all these precious stones covered him. And can you imagine? He must have been lit up in God's presence. Because remember we talked about the stones of New Jerusalem? We talked about that. How they refract the light of God. And Satan is covering all these stones. He's just radiant beauty. And it went to his head. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until, until unrighteousness was found in you. Before I had cast you as profane from the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. So it's interesting because Satan fell because he wanted to be like the Most High God. He wanted to be worshipped. Now this is scary. You put a new believer in a eldership role, you're asking for it because it could go to his head. You got to be very, very careful. I remember as a new believer thinking, man, after I came to Christ, I didn't know any Christians and I stopped everything I, I could think of that was wrong, you know, from smoking pot and taking other drugs and, and uh, 
you know, being a thief, you know, with my stoner friends and stuff. And, and I didn't even think about those things. Like, oh, i got to repent. I just knew I wasn't going to do anything like I was doing before. Like, I just want to follow Jesus, you know. Stop cussing. Someone didn't have to tell me, hey, you still cuss. It just, I mean, the, the moment afterwards, I didn't cuss anymore. So I thought, wow, I'm doing really good. Until I began to get on my knees and pray and seek the Lord and, the, and, and cry out to God. And started to realize when I was praying, God would reveal things about my heart that needed to change, you know? I remember getting in a fight with my, one of my, I got to fight a couple of my sisters, you know, because they were very antagonistic toward the faith. And they'd start yelling, you know, and, and uh, screaming sometimes. Peggy and Patty, you know who you are. I love them both. <laughs> They're in the Idaho church here, but they come visit still in the Blessed Hope, Idaho. Praise God. Uh, Kathy, I think, was out of the house by that time. And uh, she ended up coming to Jesus later and goes here, praise God. Um, but I remember, you know, I remember getting upset and, you know, trying to, you need Jesus. But I'm like yelling back, you need to turn to Jesus, you know. And I remember getting on my knees because I was like convicted. Like, no, that's not, I believe the Holy Spirit was telling me, no, Joe, you don't communicate like you used to. I'm like, and I remember getting on my knees and the Lord just showing me, Joe, you got a messed up heart in this area. You need to grow, you know. And then I started to realize as I was being sanctified, that the Bible says, cleanse yourself of all the sins of the flesh and of the spirit, right? And pride or whatever, those kinds of things I had to deal with. It's like, you know, and just humble myself and grow in humility and so forth. And if I was a brand new Christian and I was at a church and they saw me in a fire for Jesus, they might think, oh, he'd be a good elder. Like, no, I still had things I had to work through. Even though outwardly in the things, I wasn't doing those things anymore. And I loved Jesus, I wanted him. But man, it wasn't like you're just transformed to where you know, even to this day, I've been a Christian for a lot of years. I'm still growing in the Lord, still seeking Him, you know. And by the grace of God, I praise God for my wife because I knew her barely, you know, a little bit before she's a believer. She knew me a little bit before we were believers because uh, we, we knew each other's acquaintances in high school and stuff. But man, people have called. I've, I, I get two different responses, you know. People that don't know how I used to be will say, you were like that? How, that happens to you probably too, right? And people that you, somebody called our church and said, Joe Schimmel's a pastor here? The guy that went to rural high, you know, they can't believe it, you know. So a lot of my, you know, I find people uh, in Tokyo, man, give me a ring or, or call in the office again. I use my friend in, in, in elementary school. I don't think I saw him since elementary school. I think I just told the story recently when, in my home group when we were crossing over somebody's yard and I was using an illustration of how the Bible says where there's no law, there's no sin. In other words, when we're not cognizant of the law, God doesn't hold sin against us until we become aware of the law, it says in chapter Romans chapter 7. Paul says when I was young, he says I was alive until he realized what the law was. Then he, he, it slew him and he was dead. And I pointed out that Takio, so I'm i got to give you a little more context here. I wasn't going to bring this up. But I remember we were going across. We used to live off of uh, First Street. So if you come in, you're coming down from the freeway down First Street, right before you hit the railroad tracks, there's that track of homes on your left. Uh, that's, I used to live on Ahart. And we would just bolt down on our bikes, man. But when you hit First Street, there wasn't a big wall there like there is now. You could go right in the street and get hit because that was a busy street back then too. So you'd have to take that corner quick, but we didn't want to slow down. So we cut across the corner house, their, their lawn, the Otz's home, you know. And we just, I just thought the Otz were really nice because they had a trail in the middle of their home that just went across the yard. That's cool. It was fun, man. Until one day, uh, they put a bunch of nails up there in boards underneath the dirt and had a sign up there, keep off our lawn. And then all of a sudden, I went across anyway with my buddy, and I, and I was guilty 
you know, and then we came back the other way, and remember we got off and tore those strips up, you know. Uh, I think Takio, that was his idea. Takio, if you're listening. I always say that because it's funny because uh, Takio uh, Kinji, man, I remember somebody told me some years ago, Takio Kinji called. He says he listens to you and he's a Christian now. I was like, praise God. I haven't seen him since, I think, elementary school. But uh, it's interesting, though. But if you would have, as a brand new Christian, when I came to Christ, if you would have thought, oh, yeah, he's excited about Jesus. He'll be a great elder. No, I wouldn't have. That would have been terrible for me. I need to grow in my walk with Jesus. I need to hit more sunlight. I need more trials. I need to learn the scripture more. And it's very dangerous for all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. Because you can get puffed up and not be grounded and rooted in the word. And you could fall into the same condemnation the devil did. What kind of condemnation did he receive? Remember Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 and verse 46. talks about the goats too there. But it says that, that, that hell was created for the devil and his angels. That's the condemnation he gets. In Revelation 20, chapter 20, verse 10, it says that after the thousand years was over, it talks about you know, Satan being let loose for a short time. And then verse 10, it says that he was thrown alive into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. They were already thrown there over a thousand years earlier. And they're still there, it says, by the way. No annihilation there as the Jehovah Witnesses teach, man. Those two are still there, the, the beast and the false prophet, when Satan's thrown there. But guess what? This guy can fall into the same condemnation the devil did, the same, same judgment. That's scary stuff. That's why we need to take these things very, very uh, seriously. And how do we apply this to our lives? The Bible says in chapter 16, verse 18, the book of Proverbs, that pride goes before a fall, right? And a haughty spirit before destruction. We need to make sure that we don't get puffed up. That we're not like... Smoke. And it's kind of interesting. I didn't see any commentators say this. So, you know, I'm just thinking, it, it, you know, it could mean nothing. But uh, it's interesting, though, that Satan wanted to be as, worshipped as God. And it's interesting. Wrapped in smoke, you fall in the same condemnation the devil did. When you look at heaven, you talk about God's glory cloud. Or even in the temple on earth, when the, the, the glory of God filled the earth, Right? The kabod, not shekinah, I won't say, I'll say kabod. The, the heaviness of God, and they bowed down and worshiped God because it was filled with the smoke of his presence, the glory cloud. Remember that? Amen. Well, God, I mean, you look at Revelation, you look at the worship that's in heaven, man. It's just the glory of God. And you have these rainbow colors. Revelation 5, there's like an emerald rainbow that goes around his throne. And I used to think, oh, that rainbow, it's going to be so cool, it's emerald. And I think it is emerald, it says that. If I could show you another place where it says it's orange, Rain, the rainbow around his throne. What does that mean? I think it just doesn't stay the same color necessarily. Depends on what he's doing or, what, or whatever. We don't know exactly, but that's different colors perhaps at different times because in another place it's orange. So, it's, you know, God's a God of variety, right? Look at the sunsets, right? So I think that's pretty heavy. But guess what? You have the glory cloud, the Lord's presence. You have this powerful worship, man. you got these beautiful colors. It sounds like Satan's imitating that when you look at these popular rock concerts, doesn't it? And we got all this glorification of Satan and, and praise, you know, Satan with a lot of these uh, lyrics. A lot of these musicians admit they're being used by demons. And what's up there? Satan, when it says when people worship the beast in Revelation 13, it says they really worship the dragon who gives his power to the beast. So Satan and demons are getting worshipped through music, which was created to worship God. Amen? Amen? That's why I tell you to be very, very careful with your music. Make sure you're involved in music that glorifies God. Amen? So it's interesting. This, this, this 
man falls into reproach and conceit and he's wrapped in smoke. So I think what happens is the attention goes off the Lord onto himself as the object of worship. And he's not so concerned about souls and hurting for people and praying for people, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. But he's concerned about his own little kingdom that becomes, he uses the church for his own little selfish, narcissistic kingdom. Don't let that happen to you. Serve Jesus for God's glory, amen. Amen. Pray, Lord, take away any bad desires, any fleshly things in me and never mix them in with my pursuit of you. And give me a heart for people and give me a heart for the lost, amen. And Paul said, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he what? Fall. And that's right after Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I beat my body down, so after I preach the gospel to others, I myself would not become a docomos or rejected. And then he goes on and said, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. And if Paul was taking heed, right, we ought to take heed because we have to really, really be careful. We have to uh, remember, I mean, go to 2 Corinthians 12. Look at what Paul says here. And this is the Apostle Paul. And Paul was not a new convert, guys. And uh, in fact, when he became a new convert, right, he did, was he thrust in the ministry right away? No, man. He spent time in Arabia. He spent time seeking God. Uh, God, you know, had to deal with him. But even though he was a convert for so many years, and now he's this incredible apostle, because of the nature of all the revelations that he received, there was concern that he could fall away by pride. So we look at chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from what? Exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from what? Exalting myself. When Paul is talking about not exalting a new convert to the place of eldership, lest he fall into the reproach of the devil, right? And incur his condemnation. It's serious because Paul was concerned about this happening to him as a seasoned convert who would know better because of his incredible revelations that he was seeing. He wrote half the New Testament, guys, okay? So there could be a time where he could say, man, I'm pretty special. And forget that he was the chief of sinners, as he said, right? That we're to be regarded as the scum of the earth, right? That uh, he talked about himself as being the least of the apostles. He continued to remind himself of who he was. It's important for us. That's one thing we all ought to learn. That, that we deserve damnation. And I try to keep that before myself. That, man, I'd, pff, I'm so happy to get in the door. You know, I don't live for racking up a bunch of rewards, although that could be contrary to Scripture. So I told you, that's not my mindset, but I try to make that my mindset because the Lord said to basically you know, serve and you'll be rewarded. So I want to keep that in my mindset. But, man, I try to keep my mindset as well. Pff, I'm just so happy to get in. Thank you, Jesus. I deserve to be you know, the refuse on the bottom of God's foot, so to speak. You know, and it's important. Paul says, concerning this, meaning this torment he's going through, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. I mean, when Paul is weak, he has to depend on the Lord and cry out to the Lord, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm going through so much. But then he'll, he'll humble himself and cry out to God and be used by God. Amen. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in, I would rather boast in my what? My weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. That's how you're strong when you're, when you're humble before God. God gives grace 
to the humble, but he resists the proud. He gives grace in the sense of forgiving grace. Praise God for that. Amen. But he also gives empowering grace so we can serve him. And we're not going to rely on his empowering grace to serve him. We're not going to cry out to him if we think we can rely on our natural talents because I was brought into leadership such so quick. People must see I'm just a natural born leader. Nope. <laughs> nope. As soon as you start thinking that you are not going to fall, you're already on your way to falling. Okay? You're already about ready to splat on the ground, man. You have to be sober-minded. And then Peter, when he says, as far as leaders, elders, pastors, shepherd the church of God there in 1 Peter 5, and he talks about uh, how, you know, don't serve for sordid gain, right? But, and don't lord it over people. There's that pride again. But serve as examples. Young men, clothe yourselves with humility. Then he goes on to say right after that, uh, you know, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil walks around as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Just as Christ is converting, uh, uh, transforming us into the image of Christ, Satan is trying to convert us into his image. Pride. Jesus says, come to me. When he said, come to me, all of you that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Remember that? We mentioned that earlier in the message. What does he say? And learn from me. For I am meek, right? He's humble of heart. That's God. Whoa. Humbles himself, becomes a man to die for us. And he's the one that is exalted forever. But he's calling us to, to, to learn from him. And he's supposed to be exalted. How much more should we be humble before him? Amen. Recognizing that we deserve damnation. So I want to encourage you in a few things. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Okay, I'm not saying knowledge is, I mean, we're, we're growing in knowledge today. We're getting the word together. We're encouraged to grow in our knowledge of Christ, absolutely. But as we grow in our knowledge of Christ, we get to see who he is, what he's like, what we're to become, and become more and more Christ-like. But if we want knowledge for the sake of winning an argument with someone, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love edifies. So our quest for knowledge is to become more and more like the Lord, amen, and knowing more and more what it is to glorify him. But it's important to remember, and this is really important, guys, it's very, very important to remember what we know is very little. It's very little. I, I know uh, very little compared to what there is to know. It's, I, I, we know like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, almost in ad, you know, ad infinitum compared to what there is to know. I mean, think of the universe, right? Think of the laws of physics. Think of how much we continue to discover. I've been in the Word a long time, and I'm like still like blown away all the time. Wow, wow, Lord, you know? And it's important that we, uh, we have a, a humble heart. In fact, it's interesting. Listen to uh, what this says in this scripture. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, for, what, uh, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? I love that because I can't think of anything that I have that I didn't receive from him. And the only thing I can take credit for, and I've told you this before, I think this keeps us humble. The only thing we can take credit for is our what? Is our sin. Amen? Every good thing, the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, from heaven. Amen? It comes from him. Every, Every good gift comes from him. So we can take credit for our sin. So we don't get puffed, we shouldn't get puffed up. Because really we know a fraction of what there's to know. There's always people that know more than you, right? And it's, we know very, very little. And what we, we do know and what we've been given in our lives is all a gift from him. I love uh, uh, the scriptures in uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Remember, regarding our salvation. By grace are you saved. Through faith, it's by his grace. It's by his goodness. Through faith, it's not of yourselves, but it's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Nobody's going to say, hey, Lord, I'm here because I was such a good Christian. Aren't you happy to have me on your team, Jesus? I mean, that sounds just disgusting, right? No one's going to be able to say that. But So we have to remain humble here, amen? 
And I want to encourage you because we grow. We learn a lot of the word here. And praise God, by his grace, we do. But we need to make sure that we don't have an attitude towards people that don't understand sound doctrine, that we don't think that we're better than them. Amen? We have to love them and, 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 and encourage them and not think, you know, uh, it says the Pharisees felt that they were more holy than others. Don't think that. Our holiness comes from Jesus. Amen? It's by his grace that we're saved. It's by his grace we become transformed into his holy image. And, and that's, that's, that's just really, really critical that we get that, that we, we understand that, you know. You know? And uh, the last verse I want to look at, and we'll look at it briefly because it's kind of just a, a little bit more based on what we just looked at. Verse 7. And he must have a what? A good reputation toward those who are outside the church so that he will not what? Fall into the reproach or reproach and the snare of who? The devil. So not a new convert, and the elder can't be someone who has a wicked reputation among the people that are at his work, for instance, in his neighborhood, in the city. So uh, not a new convert. Well, what about this guy over here, man? But he's known for, you know, having a horrible mouth, you know? He's known for getting drunk or chasing the women, and you're going to make him an elder in your church? And that's going to cause even greater problems. It's going to be a snare for the devil because guess what? All of a sudden, he's going to be influencing people, and he's going to have connections that are nefarious that tempt him to fall more. Uh, and uh, he's just going to, you know, be a, a, an incredibly bad witness to those that are around him. And there's going to be all kinds of pitfalls, and it's going to be a pitfall for the church. So that's important. And by the way, in regard to that, how's your walk? Do you have a good reputation as a Christian? I'm not talking about before you came to Christ. Okay, that, you know, Paul was chief of sinners, he said. He was having Christians killed, right? But I'm talking about as a Christian, do you have a good reputation among your neighbors? Do they look at you as somebody they could depend upon or someone they, be, they believe cares about them and would help them in time of need or that maybe or perhaps you have helped them, you know? What about the community around us that we live in? Uh, do you have a good reputation or are you considered a scoundrel? Or consider, what about work? Do they look at you as somebody that's untrustworthy? What about friends? You know, we need to be lights to those who are in the world. Do people look that are outside of Christ look at you as somebody that they could depend upon? Or they look at you as using the name of Christ as a license to live a wicked life? That's very, very important that we get that. In closing, here's some of the things we look at when we're looking for an elder. Does this person love the Lord? Is the Lord first? Or do they love themselves? Uh, does Number two, does he fear the Lord? The fear of the Lord to begin the wisdom. Amen? Number three, is he a man of the Word? Is he in the Word? In love with God's word, God's truth, you know. Number four, does he have humility? Uh, uh, or does he esteem others higher than himself? Himself, We give his time to other people and, 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 and care for people. Uh, I'm not going to stop with the numbers. It's just about 10. Does he love the truth and hate lies? Okay. Uh, is he sober-minded? Is he a man of prayer that gives himself to prayer and devoted to prayer? You know. Does he love the church, Christ's bride? Right? That's important. You know, uh, is he pursuing holiness? Is he, is he humble in heart? Does his behavior point to Jesus? Does he show grace to others? Or is he hard-hearted and care less about others? Does he spend his time, his talent, and his treasure being a blessing to others? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray.